Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Ms. Wendy Briggs. Wendy is a dental hygienist and an internationally known speaker and dental practice coach. She works with dental practices worldwide from single provider offices to DSOs with clinics numbering in the thousands. Her seminars are frequently referred to as career changing and capable of breathing life back into our profession by those who are in attendance. Her fresh approach to presentations is engaging for the entire dental team and the principles she imparts can be implemented the next day back to drive dramatic results in your office. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Ms. Wendy Briggs. Wendy, it is so nice to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're really busy. It took a long time to get you scheduled, so I know you're really busy. I cannot wait to hear about your story and how you got into dentistry. I had noticed you on Facebook. I don't know in reference to what at this point. I noticed you early on. It took us a long time to get scheduled, as I said, but I'm really excited to talk to you today and um, share your story with our community. So at any point, just go ahead and get started. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, And getting to know you as well, other women in in dentistry is always a delight. So my story uh, begins many years ago, probably longer than I cared to admit. My mother happened to be visiting our family dentist, and he mentioned that he was looking for some extra help after school with filing charts and and those types of, of duties around the office. And so she volunteered me without my knowledge or permission. And uh, it turned out to be a wonderful thing. So after school, all through high school, I worked for this amazing dentist. He's uh, just an incredible person and got interested in dentistry in that way. So I decided I was going to apply um, and study dental hygiene because he said, you know, why not study hygiene? It's a really great career for a woman. And without knowing what I was getting into, I said, yeah, that sounds good. I'll, I'll do that because he didn't have a hygienist at the time. He had just bought a, a longstanding existing practice from an older doctor and was trying to build it up his way. And I never even worked with a hygienist in a practice before. So I applied to uh, college, got some, some pre-dental hygiene scholarships and all. And then I saw the course, the course list of what I would need to have. And I said, I don't really think I want to do that. Right. Didn't love chemistry, didn't, you know, in high school, wasn't a particularly good experience. And so I uh, changed my mind and decided to study linguistics instead. Well, that lasted one year. And then I got real and said, what can you do with the linguistics degree? You know, I'm going to get back into hygiene. So, you know, as we all have those momentary lapses when we're young and we think we know better. So I got back on the hygiene track and, and went to hygiene school, but all between that time, I had worked in a variety of dental practices, right? I worked as a dental assistant. I worked at the front desk as a schedule coordinator. I worked at a pediatric practice as well. So I felt like I had a pretty well-rounded view of what a hygienist should be. Went to hygiene school in Colorado, and that was almost another story separate of this story today because I had my, my first daughter while I was in hygiene school. 
and not something I would actually recommend, but it happened that the director of my hygiene program was an incredible man. He had eight children of his own, eight. And I'm one of six, so eight is a lot. Eight's a lot. And it would never happen in today's world, but he let me bring my baby to class. You know, he let me bring her to class. Of course, not in clinic, but for the first few months of her life, I was able to bring her to school. So it was a really a tremendous blessing and a gift to me at that time because I was in, in school in Colorado where I had no family. I was from California originally. I was married, but it was just us, right? So it was a tremendous blessing. So fast forward and I graduate from hygiene school and I ended up in a practice with a young doctor, again, who had bought the practice from his father. And we were both fairly green, right? As much as you know about dentistry, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on practice operations. I had been exposed to several different practice models and shapes and sizes. But until you actually have the RDH after your name and you're tasked with caring for patients, you're really woefully unprepared for a lot of the day-to-day -day operations. Not the clinical side, but the business side. And uh, being paired with this young doctor who was just trying to figure things out himself, I found that I needed more, right? I needed more guidance and mentorship. And so I started looking outside of our own four walls for guidance and inspiration. I'm an avid reader, always have been. And so I read everything I could get my hands on, uh, on the business side, the sales side, because here's my challenge, Dr. Hanla. I found that patients would come in and say things like, eh, if insurance doesn't pay for it, I probably don't need it. Or why now? You know, these teeth have served me fine all up, uh, up until now. The old Dr. Robertson thought they were fine, so they're fine. You know, things like the doctor saying, gosh, if hygiene would just hit goal, maybe the team could get a bonus now and again. So I heard there was a lot of voices telling me what I should be doing as a clinician, but I needed more on the how, right? And I also knew just part of my makeup, my core values would not allow me to sacrifice the quality of care for quantity, right? So in, when the doctor would say, you know, gosh, if hygiene would just hit goal, we could maybe bonus now and again, or we'd be more profitable. Well, I wasn't willing to do that at the expense of the patient, right? And so I found that, that as I began to seek more on how, how to accomplish these things, how do I take really great care of the patients and still help the practice grow? How do I, you know, provi provide world-class care and still be productive? You know, is there a way to do both? And I found that there was a tremendous void, at least in the hygiene space, in this area. So I had to do it myself. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about how some people just inherently have personalities. I was from a, a large family myself and uh, grew up with a, a couple unique gifts of learning to be resourceful. You know, you have to, for survival, that's what you do. So I went out and, and studied and, and mentored and, and read a ton of books and looked outside a profession and tried things. And, and as I learned systems and processes that worked really, really well for me, that helped me overcome patient objections, helped me build my own personal confidence in how I you know, would have conversations with patients and help them see the value in these services they desperately needed, the practice grew. And along with that, my own personal productivity grew. And so this is, you know, clear back early 90s, I was really blessed to be a part of this practice and help it grow leaps and bounds. And as a result, you know, word began to spread in my community and the doctors would get together at CE events and, you know, talk about how far they're booked out and what their hygienists are doing and all of these things that they share. 
and word got around, right? That, oh my gosh, this hygienist is, you know, producing $2,500 in a day without sacrificing patient care. And pretty soon I had other dentists and hygienists calling and asking if I could come work with them and trying to hire me away essentially. And, and after the first few times, I said, you know, I, I'm not going to come work for you. I'm really content where I am, but I can teach your hygienist to do what we do. And that's how this whole crazy train got started. You know, I never went into this thinking I'm going to be a speaker, I'm going to be a consultant, or I'm going to provide lectures. That was never the goal. The goal was just to help other professionals bridge the gaps that I had found in my struggle. And, you know, one simple thing happened that changed everything. And that was one of the dentists that I was helping went on Dental Town in 2005, 2006, and said, hey, I've been a dentist for 27 years, and in all of my career, never have I met a consultant like this young lady. She came in and doubled my hygiene revenue overnight. And with that one post, all of a sudden, I had requests coming in from across the country. Um, so whether I wanted to or not, uh, I had to create a consulting firm that could handle the demands on my time. Um, I had to learn along the way. You know, you always learn and grow. As an individual, I learned that, you know, what worked well for me didn't always work well for other people. So I had to adapt the systems and models that I had created that worked really well for me to be replicable and scalable across all personality types, across all practice sizes, PPO, fever service, large multi-doctor, multi-hygienist, small large corporate entities, you know, the largest group that we work with has more than a thousand locations. So, you know, we had to learn um, how to adapt the systems and the processes that I found worked really well for me with patient care to suit all of those audiences. And it's been a great ride. You know, I've been very fortunate to have worked with the best and the brightest in our profession all across the country. We work with practices in the United States, Canada, Australia, the UK, um, we have members in more than uh, 100 countries that download our podcast, but we also have worked with uh, incredible, incredible providers who teach me, right? I, I've been able to learn just as much as I contribute to our profession. I'm, I'm learning from others who are doing things well and have the same core values and the standards for excellence that I've always tried to embrace in my career. So it's been a great ride. You know, I've, over the last few years, we have a, a unique, uh, several unique distinctions that we've earned. Um, we are the recommended hygiene consultant for all of Henry Shine Dental. We work with their practices all across the country. Um, I've lectured in just about every major dental meeting. You know, you name it, we've done it. Yankee, Chicago Midwinter, Greater New York, you know, all of those uh, certainly we've lectured for and a lot of private organizations as well. So it's been a great journey. And I can tell you um, all along the way, what drives me and inspires me is a quote by Booker T. Washington that I based really everything on that we teach. And that is excellence is to do common things in an uncommon way. And that's always been our approach is an uncommon approach to the day-to-day -day minutia, the same old challenges and frustrations and problems that dental practices have and dental hygienists especially have with an uncommon approach, we're able to accomplish true excellence. That's amazing. That's a great, great story. So let me ask you a couple of uh, questions. Do you have a partnership in this, this consulting group? Yeah, so that's a great question. So initially, I started my own consulting firm. Uh, myself, it was called Hygiene Diamonds, and it was ob obviously based on, uh, for those who know, the fable told by Earl Nightingale about the farmer in Africa, right, who wanted wealth, he wanted luxury, and, and he sold his farm. 
and wandered the globe for the next 40 years, never having found that. Returning home to the very farm he sold, only to discover it held a diamond mine. So that was the whole concept behind hygiene diamonds. Too often I find dental practices, dentists in particular, are looking for that bright, shiny object when they have what they need all along and it's hidden beneath their very feet. And often it begins in hygiene, right? So that was the whole premise behind hygiene diamonds. So after about 10 years of working in that, in that company, it still exists and we still do coach practices in the hygiene piece alone. Uh, in hygiene diamonds, I met a really incredibly talented dentist who also had a mastermind group and his story is, is powerful in and of itself. But we recognized that my best clients and his best clients were the same people. So we thought, you know, there's something here. And so about 10 years ago, we joined another, we formed another consulting company and that is the team training Institute. And so hygiene diamonds now supplies all the hygiene consulting and all the hygiene components to the team training Institute. Um, and the Team Training Institute also addresses other challenges that the practices have with our leader, Dr. John Meese. We are partners in that entity as well. And he's just an incredible mind in dentistry, very down to earth. He practiced in Sioux City, Iowa. He had a 21-op practice there that was wildly successful, grew that to 15 locations in his region of South Dakota, Nebraska, and Iowa. Uh, joined that with a larger group that ultimately had 120 locations. He ultimately was serving as president of that group. So he brings with him an incredible wealth of knowledge on the, the dental side. So with that, we have hygiene coaches and business coaches that help practices. So, so dentists that want to improve their practice have a couple different paths that they can take. And, and really, we just meet them where they are. Where do they want to start? Do they want to start on hygiene first? Well, that's typically where we always start because it may be an overused, somewhat trite expression, but we find that is where the lowest hanging fruit is. It's a foundation for every practice. It is. It's the foundation. It absolutely is. I, I could not agree more. And that's often where the biggest opportunity lies, right? So we turn those dials, we turn those small hinges and open a big door of success in hygiene first. And then we usually find there's other systems that need attention. Then we're like, well, gosh, what about accepting insurance assignment? What about we're out of capacity on the restorative side? What about the partnership between the doctor and the hygienist and helping patients see the value and moving forward with their restorative needs? What about all these other things that come about that aren't just about hygiene, but that hygiene has a real role in, right? So that's what the Team Training Institute does. And in that entity, you know, we have a variety of ways that we work with practices, but the common denominator is we focus on real world systems that fuel practice growth. That's what we're about. Wow. That's awesome. So do you do training obviously for front desk staff as well? We do. So um, a lot of it, you know, it's all interconnected and we always say that dentistry is a team sport. And just like they say in, in the athletic world, you're, the team is only as strong as the weakest player. So we got to make sure that all those systems are shored up and strong and, you know, initially when I was just working on the hygiene side, you know, I'd go in and work on the hygiene side and then, well, gosh, you know, you can have the most productive hygienists and, and, and dentists on the planet really focused on patient care, really focused on doing the right thing. But if there's no patients in the chair, none of that matters. So, you know, we had to figure out systems that, that were effective with minimizing no-shows and cancellations, getting patients enrolled in recall that were consistent and, and uh, they could understand the value and the wisdom in staying connected with the practice in that way. So a lot of these common challenges we had to find solutions for. So yes, now we actually have an incredibly talented team of, 
uh, business coaches and hygiene coaches. So on the Team Training Institute side, they have one of each. And then of course, myself and Dr. John create all the content. We do a lot of the, the mastermind meetings that we have um, where we're directly coaching the hygienists and the doctors themselves. But we have an incredibly qualified team of hygiene coaches and business coaches. Um, one other thing that's really unique about what we do is we all live what we teach. You know, mm -hmm. So all of our hygiene coaches are hygienists themselves at the top of their game. Um, we don't hire from outside. We typically will recruit from hygienists who have done really, really well themselves within our, our systems and the things that we teach and give them an opportunity to have a bigger future and do some training with us. And it works out really well. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Well, I have seen some of your materials and I am very impressed with them. Um, I did a fair amount of work when I first started my practice after dental school because I knew right away, you know, with that amount of debt and close to 40 years old graduating from dental school, there was just no way I was going to be able to pay back that debt unless I started my practice out the right way. So I went with my team and made sure that we were all aligned from the day one because I knew how... Well, I knew how smart I, I it's, it's not a matter of being smart for me. It was a matter of, oh my gosh, I have this money to pay off. I have a family, I have a mortgage, all of that, that was connected at the time. So, you know, for me, it wasn't a matter, it, it was a matter of life and death. I, I needed to pay that loans, those loans right. down. And um, so it was important. So obviously just an outstanding story. Thank you so much. You know, what do you think, contributed most to your ability to, you know, like many people don't push themselves to search out that kind of information. You pushed yourself. And what do you think was the defining characteristic or value that you had that gave you that impetus to do it? Is it because you were frustrated that you didn't understand? You know, what drove you? I guess that that's a better question. What drove you to, to get to that point and become so good at it? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And if I look back and I think back to the circumstances I was in at the time, I was much like you. I had student debt. I was trying to work and put my husband through school. I had a very young growing family and it was a matter of survival for me. I needed to be able to know how to contribute and provide for my family. And from a personal standpoint, I knew I didn't want to have to work full time my entire life. So initially, I wanted to figure out how to maximize my productive capacity so that I could earn more money in fewer days. That was really the main driver for me as I had these babies. You know, I had my daughter while I was in hygiene school. And then, you know, back in the day, um, I joke around with my kids now that birth control wasn't as effective. Uh, and so even though I was nursing my daughter and, you know, on some kind of, of you know, nursing safe mini pill, I, I got pregnant again, you know, and we laugh about it now. And of course we wouldn't change a thing now, but here I was with two babies. My husband still had to go to college. And I knew that for the quality of life I wanted for myself and my family, I didn't want to have to work four or five days a week forever. And so I was trying to figure out how I could improve my own productive capacity, become more of a partner uh, with my doctor so that I had a higher earning power. Like that's really what started it. And then it became, it morphed a little bit into really believing that patients deserve the very best we can give them. And under the old model, 
the way I view it in hygiene, where many practices, you know, we visit with hygienists, they'd be like, I just don't want to become a pro-female. I'm worried about working with any consultant because I don't want to become this pro-female. But Dr. Hanlon, when we looked at the statistics, that's what they already were. You know, in hygiene, many times it was profi exam, fight wings, profi exam, fight wings, profi exam, fight wings. And our service offering really didn't extend much beyond that. Because too often we, we talk a good talk. We say things like we refuse to allow insurance to dictate the level of care we provide. But then in the treatment room every day, we do allow insurance to dictate the level of care. I wasn't offering fluoride consistently for adults because it wasn't covered by insurance. But once I dug into the science and found the why behind that, I became fiercely committed to helping my patients understand why this was necessary, why this was beneficial. And so, you know, for me, production wasn't necessarily the goal initially. It was the result that comes when you do the right thing for the patient. And I, I became a fierce preventive advocate for my patients, my productive capacity group. So it was a, a very eye-opening lesson that, you know, when you do the right thing for the patient and you become fierce advocates for them and helping them understand why these services benefit them, it impacts your own productivity. So we were doing a lot of things on the preventive side, right? Fluoride, um, sealants, sealant protector, bonding agents, you know, making sure that radiographs are maximized, uh, really focusing in on preventing future problems for patients. And once they understood that and we incorporated risk assessment and all of these things, we became partners with the patient in their own health. Once I understood that and had the skills to really impact patients' lives in that way, and I started hearing from the patients, then for me, it became more about helping other hygienists take the same, have the same commitment to patient care that we had. Um, and understanding that many hygienists were looking for that, they just didn't know they needed it. Or they didn't know the how, right? We all go into this field. Nobody becomes a hygienist or a dentist because they want to make buttloads of money or, or buckets of money. You know, we go in it because we love our patients. We want to help and be of service. And, and many of us are very patient focused. So, you know, what I found early on was there's a way to have the best of both worlds. You could be very patient focused, but also help the, the practice grow. And once I figured that out, I somewhat feel a responsibility to share. And it's been, again, very fulfilling and a great, a great journey for me. As much as I love clinical hygiene, I really love working with dentists and hygienists to help them realize their potential even more. You know, those aha moments that, that happen when you coach somebody to a higher level are so significant. They're so impactful. So good for you because I, I know those feelings and that feedback you can get and there's nothing better. So, you know, a great rewarding way to spend your day, isn't it? You brought up a really valuable point, which is the why. You know, so many people don't understand that. It's a, it's a basic business principle, but so many people just don't understand that they need to have the why behind it in order to make sense of why we do things, right? Kudos to you for figuring out your why, right? And, and for having that drive you because the passion comes from completing that why statement every day. Right. Absolutely. I would say now too, you know, that's one of the things that, that we realize that many hygienists are lacking, right? And no fault of their own, 
but I can't tell you how many times I'll have dentists say, ah, Wendy, you know, we've tried to get the hygienist to do fluoride or sealants, or I try to influ influence change and it just doesn't stick, right? The hygienist just, you know, long-term, they, they just don't stay with it. And it's often because they are missing that why. So that's why with everything we teach, we lead with the science, we lead with the research, we lead with all of the data that our analytic brains need, our logical brains need, and then we have to tie it into the emotion, right? And so that's, I think, why we've had such an impact is because we recognize we've got to start with why with all the hygienists we coach, mm -hmm. right? And we've got to give them a compelling why. We've got to help them see the science. And, and also, you know, realistically, there's, there's also some other things that we do in regards to compensation structure that, that helps these things stay long-term. But I would say with many, many practices, especially those that have tried to influence change in the past, they're missing that. And that's really important. The why is such a big part of it. They need more than just what to do. They need why they should do it. And then I think another missing piece is the how, right? Mm -hmm. Too often we say, we think every adult should have fluoride. Go talk with every adult about fluoride. And that all sounds good. But, you know, after one morning of nobody saying yes, that's not going to continue, right? So hygienists need to know the how too. How do we have these conversations? Right. What's the script, right? Right. How do we overcome the objection of it's not covered by insurance? How do we overcome the objection of it's a government conspiracy? You know, it's a neurotoxin because I read it on Facebook. You know, how do you overcome all of those? And once they have the knowledge of why they should do it and how to actually do it, it sticks, right? Yeah. And I would say, you know, the beautiful thing about where we are now with what we do is people don't have to figure it out on, on their own. You know, we have data from thousands of practices and we teach what works. So I think that's also really rewarding to me is to help other hygienists. Just like you said, you know, when you're coaching somebody and they come to you and say, that will never work. I could never do that. Our practice is different. Our patients are different. And then you lay it out for them and you give them all the tools, all the missing pieces and then literally the next week, you get the email saying, I didn't even know this was possible. Look what I achieved. I did not even think that I would ever have a $3,000 day. And I did it already. You know, it's really, really rewarding. Well, you know what I think they find the most rewarding, at least I know I did reflecting back on my days as a hygienist, is I wanted to be of value, right? I wanted to support the practice and show you know, the owner of the practice that I was working with at the time that I'm valuable to you and I want to support you. And here's how I can do that. And so it wasn't a question of not doing something in my mind. It was always, I'm going to do this every single time I have an opportunity because that's going to support the health of the patient and that's going to support the health of the practice. I think that if you can get your team on board with that, and then as a practice owner, that's how I led my team, is I think if you can get on board with that with your team members, then everybody knows what the game is, right? Everybody knows what the rules of, the, of engagement are, and they know what they need to do at the end of every day. And, you know, looking back on the day, let's reflect. How did we do? Did it, did it go well? Did it not go well? You know, what can we do better tomorrow? Um, I'm still doing that every single day today because of the big size of my team, but it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. So thank you for all of that insight. I, I think it's amazing 
what you guys have created. And I kudos to you because not too many hygienists that I know of have established such a successful practice back that long time ago. You know, I mean, you've been at it for a long time. Yeah, like I said, longer than I care to admit. And I always joke at the beginning of meetings when I show my family photos now, you know, I grew, I ended up having four children and now I have two grandbabies. Congratulations, that's awesome. Uh, but I always show the pictures and I say, I know, I don't look old enough to have a daughter that's a hygienist and grandbabies. And of course, everybody gives the polite little chuckle, but it's really uh, kind of a joke that's outlived its time because, you know, I, I am looking my age more and more. But, you know, it's been a great ride. And and like I said, I just feel so fortunate to have met so many people along the way that, that helped me develop, you know, what we currently teach today. And uh, it's been a great journey. So... I appreciate that. And, and you know, you know as, as well as I, that when you have a large team, you mentioned something, you know, we're always reflecting on how we can continuously improve because that's another really important value, you know, continuous improvement. I don't think we're ever done developing. And the only place we go when we coast is downhill, right? So it's a new era, I think, for, for dentistry. It's a new era for women in dentistry. You know, um, it used to be 10, 15 years ago that, it was a rarity. And now we're hearing that, you know, more than half of the, the graduates in, from dental school are women. It's not just a, a hygiene based female dominated profession anymore. And I think that's really exciting. So I think the best is yet to come for all of us, really. I agree with you hundred percent. We're uh, that we just welcomed our first year class at 64% female. Absolutely. love. It. It's tipping the scales quite a bit. Um, the challenge that we still are facing is the enough females in leadership positions. And I think that that will continue to be this way for some time until we can get on the other side and more and more women go into academia. So we'll see what happens. But I do miss my private practice days every once in a while, but nothing better than the challenge of, of running a bigger team and, and seeing if you can make the clock tick every day, you know, and, and, and hum, right? So what do you think is the best piece of advice that you've ever given or received, I guess, you know, because in your, your, you know, profession, you're, you're now a coach, you know, is there something you routinely say to teams or is there something that impacted your entire life based on something somebody said to you? Oh, gosh, there's so many, um, I would say, you know, there's a couple phrases that we always use that I hear myself saying them over and over and over again. And that is progress, not perfection, right? Especially when you're starting something, we're looking for progress, not perfection. I think we, especially dentists and hygienists, uh, and maybe it's a woman thing, or maybe it's just a, a humanity thing. You know, I think our expectations sometimes for ourselves are a little unrealistic. You know, we want to just snap our fingers and be where we want to go without recognizing that it is a journey, you know? So we always say progress, not perfection. Another one that is impactful for me is small hinges swing big doors. I can remember in the early days, Tom Warrant, Dr. Tom Warrant called and said, okay, wait a second. I've worked at this practice for years. Um, you were in there and 90 days later, they're up $70,000 in, in revenue. How did you do that? You know, what was the thing you did? And I, I stopped and thought about it for a second. And I said, you know, it's, it wasn't just one thing. It's a whole host of small and simple steps done every day that can make a huge impact. 
And so for me now, you know, small hinges swing big doors. And so I think sometimes when we're frustrated with how things are going or, or when we want to remake our practice or reinvigorate our hygiene department, we think we have to, you know, start over. And that's not true. You know, it's small and simple things. The small and simple steps add up to make a huge impact at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year. And so I think that's a, a big thing too, is recognizing that, you know, being fiercely committed to the details are what really set apart the outliers from the masses. And, you know, when we come in, one of the first things we say is, listen, guys, today, what we're going to be talking about is not rocket science. These are the foundational services that just about every single practice offers on their menu. But today we're going to be focusing on why we should be more consistent and more deliberate about making sure every patient has the opportunity. So it's the small things, right? It's the small and simple things that can have a huge impact at the end of the day. Um, that's a big one as well. So the small steps is something that I routinely say to my students on a regular basis, in addition to, you know, a couple of other things like put your blinders on because four years of dental school is not easy. You got to put your blinders on and just take away all the outside distractions. But, you know, it's just one day at a time. Take one step. And I think we can relate that to our goals as well, personally. You know, all you have to do is one thing today that will get you closer to tomorrow, where whatever that goal is. Because if you don't take that step today, you're going to have to take it at some point. So why not take it today and be one step closer? But if we keep procrastinating, if we keep ignoring the signs that we should be doing something, we live that unfulfilled life that is so frustrating and so unrewarding that eventually it does catch up to us. I don't know if you've seen that with other practices, but I definitely can see it when people resist. What you resist persists, right? So that's a classic one that I use all the time. And, and you know, if you're resisting changing, okay, well, it's just going to keep coming back to haunt you because, unfortunately, what you don't pay attention to will always come back. Right. And we love, I quote Darwin all the time, it's not the strongest of the species that survives. It's the most adaptable to change, right? So we have to adapt. We have to grow. And I would say, you know, when we first start with a practice, we really simplify it. We'll say, okay, here's all the science about fluoride and, and who would benefit from that. Let's take a look at, you know, what that means to your practice over the course of the next 12 months. And so we break it down and say 80% acceptance. You know, we do the math and we'll say that's a $44,000 bump per full-time hygienist by taking better care of patients. And then we do the same thing with sealants, four teeth a day protected is a revenue impact of roughly $50,000. It's just over 48,000. So we take it and we procedure by procedure, small and simple thing. We add it up and, and with three or four preventive services, it's a, it's a quick $125,000 impact all by doing the right thing for the patient and taking better care of the patients that we serve. And so when we do that, when we add up those small and simple steps, Man, it's powerful. And that's why multiple location practices love what we do. That's why multiple doctors, multiple hygienists love what we do because the numbers change so quickly. It seems impossible. But when they become fiercely committed to doing the right thing, it's amazing the impact it can have and fueling growth. And then, of course, you know, all that does is improve cash flow, which then gives the doctors the resources they need to invest in technology or invest in marketing or expand their facility or whatever it is that they may need. So again, it's small and simple steps. You don't have to start big, just focus on the small and simple things that you can do. And, and we share some of those principles 
in a, one of the books we've written, and we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I hope it's okay. I, I can offer that you know, for free to your listeners. So that's something that we often do if we're a guest on a show. So anybody who wants to have a little bit more information about that, they can get it just wendysfreebook.com. That's all you have to do is, is go there and, and that will give more insights into what we actually do, what those small and simple things are that can really transform the productivity and, and profitability of the practice. That's amazing. So thank you for that. I, I have no doubt that people will take you up on that because, you know, there's nothing better than having one, something for free. My students tell me that all the time. And two, you know, getting information that might be able to impact their lives and create better value for them in their practices. So thank you for that. That's a very generous offer. Who do you think has made the biggest impact in your life? Oh gosh, you know, I would say obviously initially when you're young, it's your parents. You know, I, I told the beginning of my story was my mother saying my daughter can do that, you know, and volunteering me for this job in dentistry when I had zero experience or background. And, and so I think her faith in me was very inspiring. And of course, my father was, you know, at the top of his game in the sales world and then became an educator, right? So in a way, I feel like my life is, has taken both of those unique skill sets and we've put them together. So parents are very influential on me as well. And then I might say, you know, family in all, very inspiring. That was my primary why, right? Putting my husband through school and, and helping raise my own children. That motivated me to look outside of my four walls. But then if I had to say someone in our profession, I would say it's got to be Rella Christensen, Dr. Gordon's wife. Amazing woman. Her commitment to research um, about all things dental is inspiring to me. I can't get enough of their courses. I was honored to be invited to be in their practical clinical courses series uh, on optimizing hygiene to the next level. And that was a, a real treat. So I was able to go to the facility and tour it and, and see kind of what they do on the back end in regards to scientific inquiry. It's just really uh, amazing. So I would say that, you know, if I had to choose someone within dentistry that inspired me, it would be Dr. Rella. You know, I, I love that you said that because not too many people have ever said that. And I have been to the facility twice, once as a dental student at Tufts, and then again, once uh, within five years of graduating from Tufts. Gordon had a, a program where he in, invited one dentist from every dental school and one new dentist from every state to come out to Park City and uh, you know, be a part of the center and get lectures and all that kind of stuff. And I was honored to have done it twice. And it was an amazing experience to this day. In fact, I, I have brought my, my students, I just started a study club for my students through COVID. And um, uh, Gordon's stuff is, is on the, the list of, of recommended courses for them to um, see if they can partake in. And he's offered a great, great reduced fee for them, which I'm very grateful. So generous, right? We, at the very beginning of, of COVID, uh, we invited him to join us for a, a basically a PPE uh, run rundown of how we can open up safely. This is when everybody was still shut down and, and he was generous with his time. And we did a, about an hour long interview with him about all of the latest research he had done about what PPE ranked highest as far as disinfection, sterilization, masks, all of it. And it was just an incredible wealth of knowledge, you know, so I was delighted to have had that opportunity. He's just such a generous person with his time. And, and of course, Dr. Rella as well. So you're very inspiring, even now, you know, even now. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Absolutely. 
So tell me a little bit, did, do you think that your parents contributed to your confidence level from the, the get-go? You seem to have that type of constitution where you have been a confident woman all your life. Now, am I intuiting this or is that not true? You know, is it been along the way that you've developed it? But my sense is that you've been a strong woman since the day you were born. Well, that's very kind of you. You know, as I look back, I think I was given plenty of opportunities to develop, you know, um, gifts or talents. I was put in front of people to speak or sing, even at a very young age, which I don't know if most people do that. So I've never, ever had any type of fear getting in front of people. I remember one time another fairly new speaker or somebody who was an aspiring speaker was going to introduce me and the, the room was about 800 people. And they said, oh my gosh, I can't even, you know, she couldn't even hold the microphone. She was shaking so bad. She's like, I can't believe you're going to go sit, talk to all of these people for eight hours. Are you nervous at all? And I said, no, you know, it's just, you just do it, right? You have your content, you're comfortable and familiar with your material. And so I guess maybe that did come from a young age, but I think you, you gain confidence, right? As you go, as you develop new systems or processes and you lecture with people, you know, you know the material you're teaching is going to be helpful. Um, that breeds confidence. So I think, you know, we all is, maybe we have a little bit ingrained in us and, and through opportunities when we're young, but now I kind of look at my coaches and I see what they do and I know they're incredibly confident. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that they know this works, you know, these processes and systems are backed by science. They totally work. They will help you. Um, and we're here to, to make that happen. So I look at, at that, we've got a team of, of confident women um, that work with us. And I think, you know, if I had to put my finger on what breeds confidence, it's, I guess, clarity and knowledge that uh, what you're going to say or what you are teaching is effective. You know, I'm glad, so glad that you brought that up because that is one observation that I met through all of COVID-19. And during the crisis and the shutdown, when we shut down the school March 13th, I think we spent the rest of the entire next month um, going through all of the research, going through all of the documents that were being written, all of the things that were being posted on IDEA, all the feedback, you know, everything. And what I noticed was the more I knew, the more I was sure, I was confident that we were going to be fine and that, you know, I wasn't going to get sick. My people, you know, as long as I got them the right stuff, were not going to get sick. You know, at some point we could, you know, we did provide emergency services the entire time. So none of us were fearful of that. But I did notice that the most Fearful people were the least knowledgeable. Right. And that fear comes from not knowing. And once you do know, then the fear goes away. So you're absolutely spot on. I think that, that you know, that curriculum that you are teaching, you know so well, there is nothing to be afraid of, right? It's part of who you are and what you do every single day. So there's nothing to be afraid of. When people don't know something, they're afraid. Right. I would also say that our approach breeds confidence too, because we know we design this material different than the masses. We know it's an eight hour program, but we know it's fun. 
we have videos in there. You know, we have certain things that, that make it fun so that at the end of the day, people are like, oh my gosh, that was great. Rather than, oh, I'm so glad it's over. Right. And, and from the very beginning, we've tried to differentiate ourselves that way because I think it's neat. It's necessary. So I think that's part of it too, is, is we are fiercely committed. We always say, if it's not fun, you're not doing it right. And so there's an element of fun in everything that we bring uh, to our profession as well, because maybe we're kids at heart. I don't know, but I think it makes it more enjoyable and people remember they retain better uh, when they're enjoying themselves. So I think that that helps as well. Totally agree. Totally agree. Who inspires you in dentistry to do what you do? Oh gosh. As I look back at speakers, you know, I really, really love Catherine. I tell Catherine, I tell belt is a phenomenal speaker. Um, you know, and it, what's really interesting is I, I remember having a conversation with uh, Lois Banta and Deborah Engelhart Nash a while ago. And they said, you know, how come we've never met you at our speakers and consulting network meetings or, or any of those organizations? And I said, you know, because when I was, you know, figuring this out, I didn't even know those things existed. A again, I mentioned earlier, my intention was never to become a speaker. It just naturally happened, right? And so I didn't have my finger on the pulse of any of those organizations that help people become speakers because I was too busy becoming a speaker um, in, that, in that realm. But since then, you know, I've, I love some of the relationships and friendships that I've made um, over the years. Um, Linda Miles, uh, Catherine Itell, uh, Deborah Engelhart Nash, you know, a lot of the, the ladies at ADOM are just fantastic. Sandy Pardue, you know, um, I think people who are like-minded, you know, they tend to be attracted to one another. And so I noticed, you know, especially Catherine, I tell, we share a lot of, of the same values and, and desires to really help people. And, and, uh, I appreciate, you know, I've learned, you know, more about speaking from her. Interestingly enough, the first time I ever sat through a speaking program or a speaking course was after I'd already been speaking for about 18 years. I just didn't, you know, I just learned and, and developed and adapted, as we mentioned earlier, based on what people wanted. Um, so it's been really fun to now explore the other side of it. And I uh, really dive into, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I looked at the change management process and the steps that they teach to really affect lasting change. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, over the years, we adapted to what worked and what didn't, you know, we got rid of what didn't and we kept what worked. And, you know, our initial hygiene explosion day that we do at dental hygienists all across the country follows that change management cycle to a T. So it's kind of funny because you do learn what works. Um, and so, like I said, it's, it's been really fun for me to, to learn from, you know, accomplished speakers now. And I didn't feel like in the early days, I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to that. So it's been really rewarding now. Excellent. Now, did you do Jumpstart? No, I, uh, I didn't do, that's Vanessa, right? Vanessa Emerson. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've been lecturing now for, for more than 20 years. So I feel like uh, that all came about well after we were already fairly established. Excellent. Excellent. So what would be one thing that people would be surprised to learn about you? Oh, gosh, probably in... Uh, a little known secret, you know, when you play those party games where what have you done that no one else has done. Um, when I was really young, I grew up in California 
outside of Hollywood a little bit in Simi Valley. And so when I was young, I paid for my first year of college by doing a Domino's pizza commercial. So, you know, we did film and TV um, in my family. That's just kind of what you did when you lived there. There was all sorts of opportunities for that. And so that's part of what I said. I've always been put in front of people um, and uh, didn't really develop a whole lot of stage fright because of that. But that's probably something that little known fact, I was in Star Trek when I was young and in a variety of movies that now are supremely antiquated, but people would recognize some of the titles. So fun stuff. Very cool. Very cool. I have one friend who was in a movie in um, Mystic River. Oh, huh? Yeah, Mystic River, who was in that movie when it was filled in Boston. And, you know, it's his biggest claim to fame. He tells everybody he meets that, yeah, did you know I was in a movie? Yeah, my younger brother actually got a lot more screen time than I did. You know, by then my mom was more established with the agency and all of that. But he, he had a pretty good cameo in um, Apollo 13 you know, movies like that. So fun stuff. Excellent. Excellent. So tell me about your greatest aha moment. You know, we all, you know, we talked about that earlier, but we all have them occasionally, you know, and I think that that fuels us to continue going down the path that we're going, even if we could retire, even if we, you know, didn't have to do this anymore, we continue to choose to do it because we're so passionate about it and we love it but it's usually because we're defining it by aha moments that people have. And, you know, some of them are really significant. So I'm just asking if you remember a really significant one. Yeah, I think for me, it was not necessarily one moment, but an experience that created that a deeper understanding. And it was a time when a good friend of mine worked for a a great doctor. His name was Ross Chessman. And she was moving on, her husband had been transferred, and he came to me and offered me a job, right? And uh, first of all, I said, I'm not not super interested. I'm really happy where I am. He said, well, what would it take to get you here? And I said, well, all right, let's just throw it out there, right? So I said, I want the ability to hire and fire in my own department. I'd really like you to let me run with this vision for what I have Uh, for hygiene. I think we could build something really remarkable. If you would let me just take the reins, of course, here's the core values. I'm not ever going to, you know, do anything unethical or that's not the best thing for the patient. We knew that about one another already. And so he said, let's go, let's do it. And so that was uh, when my son, who is 22, I was pregnant with him. So it was 22 years ago. And we really built something remarkable within hygiene. I ran an assisted model And then a few years down the road, I even uh, worked with two full-time assistants. So I was working with my team of assistants, much like a dentist would. And I was spending all of my time doing tasks that only hygienists were licensed to do. And we built an incredible army of incredible assistants that we could delegate and patients still received optimal care. But it was a really interesting experiment. And my biggest aha was after we did that, was that this was a model that could be very beneficial across our profession and assisted, a true assisted hygiene model. Now, here's the thing. We teach multiple models. That's not a good fit for every practice. But just the understanding of how to do that and how to do that incredibly well was powerful. And then I would say the next biggest aha was Dr. Chessman was the first one that said, 
we need to become consultants and teach this to other practices. I didn't even know consultants existed at that point. And he was the one who, you know, started sharing what we were doing and, and started working with his friends initially. So that was probably my biggest aha was, was someone who had the faith and the belief and the trust in me, myself and my skill sets to give me the freedom to create that and to experiment and explore with that until we tweaked it and got it down. And then of course, encouraged me to begin consulting and sharing some of that knowledge. That was an aha for me. That's amazing. That's a great story. You know, it's interesting because, you know, women, I have heard stories on both sides, right? Women being extremely supported by men in their career paths and being encouraged by men to go into dentistry 25, 30 years ago when it wasn't an option for most women. You know, when I was in high school, you know, my guidance counselor, when I told him I wanted to be a dentist, said, no, dear, you want to be the hygienist. I looked at him and I said, I know the difference between a hygienist and a dentist. I want to be the dentist. And he said, well, you're just not smart enough. And I'm like, all righty then. Game Game on. on. (laughs) Game on is right. And uh, to this day, I wish I could thank him every day. I do actually thank him in my thoughts and my prayers because I wouldn't be the person I was today if he hadn't challenged me with that comment. And I think people come into our lives for specific reasons. And, you know, that fork in the road was a defining moment for me. And I could have gone down that path and believed what he said. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to listen to you. (laughs) I know what I want. And I'm just going to go do it. You don't have to follow me. You don't have to believe me. I'm just going to go do it. So, you know, for me, I think that that is, is part of either you make up or it isn't, right? And so, you know, it's, it either provides you great moments of success or it doesn't. So, you know, we're so complicated, all of us. And what, you know, what makes each one of us in the same family be that much different, right? Where other members of my family never did anything, you know, what, you know, whatever, they chose not to go to college, but, and they're all successful in their own right. But what spurred me on? I have no idea to this day, you know? Interesting. I think we all have stories like that. I mean, I remember when I told one of my professors in hygiene school that I was pregnant. Uh, she said, "I'm calling the alternate. No one's ever graduated and had had a child at the same time." And so it was kind of a very similar moment where I'm like, "All right, well, let's see. Don't call the alternate. I'm not quitting. That's not in my in my makeup." So of course, you know, flat fast forward graduation, I received the Sigma Phi Alpha Award for highest academics. So I'm like, you know, but I probably wouldn't have driven or fought as hard. Same as you, you know, without that challenge. Excellent. Excellent. I knew we would get along right away as soon as you started talking because I'm like, oh my gosh, we think almost exactly the like. What's your favorite way to manage stress? Because, you know, this profession can be very stressful. You know, seeing patients day in and day out. Not everyone comes into the office really nice, as you know. And so they can be challenging and hard to, you know, kind of, put yourself in that box and prevent that impact of negative energy affecting you. And I'm very aware of that for my team because I don't want negative patients impacting uh, the team. I was very protective of them in my private practice. Not, not easy to do in, in the position I'm in now, but how do you manage your stress? Really great question because it's been really challenging for people, right? With the midst of COVID, people that are working from home don't have a way to separate work and home. And so it's been unique as we've had to adapt unique challenges. For me, 
I think for sure, making sure I always plan a vacation. For me, a big stress reliever is always having another thing planned to look forward to. Um, so I, we do vacation. We did take a vacation this summer. It was different than planned, right? Um, but having my toes in the sand on the beach somewhere, that's therapeutic for me. Making sure, for me, escaping with family is also important. I mentioned I have grandbabies, so I just make sure I schedule time to play. Um, every Monday, my daughter does clinical hygiene, and it's my day to have the babies. And so I try to be fiercely committed to scheduling anything out. Of course, some things trickle in here and there, and there are some days where I have to travel. But for the most part, I try to be fiercely committed to that play date because, you know, we all have regrets. Um, I feel very fortunate with raising my own kids, but when you're in the thick of it, you don't often have time to play. And so for me, I mean, there's something therapeutic about being in there in that world and, and having playtime is important. So I guess that for me is a big part of it, you know, play on vacations or on the beach somewhere, play with the, the babies, um, scheduling time to play where I try to try to set it all aside. I'm not very good at that, but that's helpful. And of course, you know, you'll hear the same old answers, you know, making sure you get exercise, making sure you have enough sleep. I mean, making sure you're drinking enough water, all of those things are important. But for me, it's just being able to, to hit the pause button and play for a bit. I'm seeing a theme here that you, you do incorporate play into your entire life, which I think is, is a really fascinating thing to think about and not something that I have done very well at myself. So I'm going to start taking that into consideration and saying, okay, how can I play today? Right. Even if it's only for 10 minutes, you know, it might bring some joy into, you know, my life and provide some, some comedy relief or whatever it, the case may be. Right. You brought a great point up with the, the COVID issue because I'll just share a, a story it reminded me when you brought it up, I, the stress sometimes you don't realize is building. And my team came back for the first time on Monday where the students were back. You know, we have 15 floors, eight clinical floors. And on the floor that I, I run the clinics from is the UG students, one of the UG student floors. And my team had been gone. They've been working on floor above, floor below, but not on my floor. And when I walked in on Monday morning and saw the patients back in the chair and my team back, I just couldn't hold it back. I started to cry. You get emotional. Yeah, the emotional side of it. And I, I was totally taken aback. You know, that's not my modus operandi for work. Yeah, I can be very sentimental watching a movie or being with my kid or any of that. And I have a grandson and a granddaughter on the way. So yeah, with them, I'm very different. But but at work, you know, I've you know, got a crusty outside and a very soft inside, but I don't show that soft side very often. And my team was like, oh my gosh, Dr. Hanlon. I said, I'm just so happy you're back. I said, it's been so hard without your people, you know, your peeps, you know, the, the people that fuel you and give you the reason for being there every day. And um, it kind of shocked me. And I didn't realize that that stress had impacted me so much of being away from people. You know, I think, I, I think across the industry, across the world, we're all feeling that for sure. I think so too. And I think, you know, there's always the silver lining in that dark mm -hmm. cloud. And I think uh, for me, it's been 
understanding how much we appreciate the little things and, and gaining a newfound gratitude for things that we probably did take for granted, you know, just day-to-day -day relationships and being able to give somebody a hug and, and going out to dinner or going to see a movie, you know, all those things are things that now I think we will treasure. We'll be more grateful for all of those little things. I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Do you have a motto or a mantra that you live by every day? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier and I would say it's excellence is to do common things in an uncommon way. So that's been a guiding light from the very beginning. And that extends not just with our clients and our consulting, but literally in everything, you know, what are we really striving to accomplish? Being a person of value or being a value to another person it all comes from an uncommon approach. And so I, I think that's something that, that guides us. We often say, you know, who is willing or why would anyone be willing to settle for average? Um, when you're going to do something, you may as well do it, right? And really seek to excel and succeed. And so for me, that's, that's always been kind of a guiding principle. And when I heard that quote years ago from Booker T. Washington, I said, that's it. That's it for me. That's, that's what we are trying to accomplish is achieving excellence by doing these common things in an uncommon way. Excellent. Really good piece of advice. Do you have a guilty pleasure or a secret dream that you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, I think those are two different things, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Guilty pleasure might be, I love paranormal television shows, which is really out of the ordinary for me, but I really love the scientific exploration of those things. So I get, I'm a little bit of a geek on that. So people always tease me. And I have been known to watch an episode of Dead Files or Paranormal Caught on Camera alone in a hotel room. And I've learned that's not a good thing. <laughs> Why do you get a little scared? Uh, there's been a few occasions where I'm like, that was dumb. Why did I watch that? <laughs> um, so that's a, a guilty pleasure a little bit. I, you know, some of those things. And uh, what was the other thing you said? A secret dream. It's not necessarily super secret, but I have a difficult time like knowing I'm overpaying for something. So we love to cruise. It's a, a favorite family vacation just because I get a vacation too. So my secret dream might be like a, a full on Disney cruise, even though the logical part of my brain has never jumped in on that yet, because I know you're way overpaying for the whole Disney experience. But at some point in my life, I would like to, you know, have that. Just a little tidbit. You should check out the Ritz Carlton yachts. Oh, just wow. saying, just saying. <laughs> Yeah, that's oh my <laughs> gosh, my daughter and I are planning the next trip. So just saying, you might want to check it out. It might take the place of, you know, Disney. It just might. Yeah, we love all things Disney. We're a big Disney family. And that's been, again, kind of a hard thing. You appreciate it. it's been closed. Disneyland, Disney World's open again. But uh, that was supposed to be in July. We're still holding on to our tickets, hoping that they open again soon. Well, I've always loved every time I've gone there. I can't wait to take my grandson and granddaughter at some point either. So my daughter, it was her claim to fame all through high school. Mom, I am the only kid that has never gone to Disney. And I look at her and I say, okay, but you're the only kid that I know of that has gone to nine European country and skated in, their, in, in competitions at a world level. Okay, so really, what do you want? We can always go to Disney, Courtney, but you can always go to nine different countries and skate all over the world. So your choice, 
but I think you've got it okay. So yeah, for sure. You love that. What a great experience. Yeah, it was a great experience. So I have thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with you. I can tell already you're, you're a, a sister from another mother because it just, we align in a lot of different ways. So it's really been great to get to know you. I hope our paths cross at some future date, at some future meeting somewhere. And I can't wait to meet you in person. I'm sure they will. It's been my pleasure. I feel the exact same way. It's, it's super fun to get to know other people. And, and we, you know, our stories are very, very similar. So we do have a lot in common. So it's been my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Uh, thanks so much, Wendy. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.